Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax, you have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us, holding to pure grace. Again, relax, join in with us. Listen on, be blessed. Defenders of Grace. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. My name's Bill, and I'm sitting across the table having some fellowship with my old buddy, Grace Guard Dog Steve. Old buddy, huh? Long time buddy. Oh, oh, I Slipped up there. Hi, everybody. Glad you're here. think we've got a subject on our mind to speak about. Hopefully, it is the Lord's thoughts. It's kind of a question that's been thrown at us several more, times. Yeah, yeah, actually, more than a few times. Yeah, it's usually what is the unpardonable sin? sin? Yeah, it's a famous question, though. What is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, and we can look at that question just from the standpoint of the New Covenant we live under and the judicial system of that particular new covenant that we live under. From that standpoint, we can easily tell what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Right. We don't have to insert us in in there. Been guilty of doing that before. Just because I heard people say it, it's got to be true. (laughs) Well, I think Matthew 12 is probably the best place to go. Yeah, I think we'll go to Matthew 12. And we should get it in context. Maybe you could kind of just verbally tell us what was going on in that scene. It comes after uh, a couple healings. And they were both done on the Sabbath day. And Jesus makes the point, and he uses some Old Testament examples of people doing good, people surviving on the Sabbath. And he brings up the question, is is it wrong to do help someone on the Sabbath or heal someone on the Sabbath? And in this case, it's actually restore someone on the Sabbath. And he makes the point that the Sabbath was made for man's benefit, not God's benefit. God gave them the Sabbath so they could rest one day. Resting one day is a good thing. So also resting, we rest to what restore ourselves, heal ourselves. So he heals someone and restores someone. That's pretty much what the Sabbath was made for. Yes. And then what does he do? He heals someone on the Sabbath, and after that, he gets accused of something. Okay, and what do they accuse him of? They accuse him of casting out a demon by the power of Beelzebub. And that's the context right there where the Pharisees were accusing him of casting out demons 
by the power of Beelzebub. And Jesus is answering them, saying, can the kingdom be divided itself against itself? And can you have to bind up the demon in order to plunder his place? And demons won't let you do that. And then he says, if you're not with me, if you're not gathering with me, you're actually against me. And then can... I get you to start reading it in verse 30. Yes, just as Steve predicted. Verse 30, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Amen. Amen. Let me just point out something that he says in verse 37, because it's big to unlocking the mystery hear of what Jesus is saying but in verse 37 he says by your words you shall be justified and by your words you shall be condemned also you shall also you shall be justified and condemned by your words and the question that begs is how can you does that mean you can go to heaven and then get pulled out of heaven how can you be justified and condemned by your words? We're going to have to answer that question to answer this idea of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. One thing I found helpful is he says out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. So if it's an abundance of evil, it speaks evil. If the good is in abundance, it speaks good. It kind of reminds me of the what we learned about in Romans 8, the I pair, that when the, the spirit is in abundance, you are you know, producing the mind of the spirit. But when the flesh is in abundance, you are producing, producing the, the mind, mind of, of the flesh. That's by the same person. That's why it was so vitally important when Jesus said, I come to give you Zoe 
and give you zoe abundantly because that word abundance in the scheme of the new covenant in the scheme of things where we rely on the spirit it's it's a podcast that we we've yet to do and we need to do one maybe we'll commit to do doing one next week about the abundance but when you have an abundance of the spirit the spirit is in control and you produce the mind of the flesh like it says in the Galatians the spirit. 517 the the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh well when there's an abundance of the spirit then the flesh becomes dormant and the spirit won the battle but none of that we would even know if we hadn't been doing the guardians of grace podcast for so long where we have looked at so 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 many examples of either the flesh or the spirit the different ways synonymous ways in which the flesh or the spirit is depicted because that is what Jesus is talking about when he says a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit cannot can't happen not even one little bit and we can go to first john to see that it's not one little bit but i always thought bill could produce good fruit and steve produced bad fruit or joe produced good fruit and john produced bad fruit but no romans three ten says there's none good no not one in humanly speaking our righteousness is as a filthy rag to god our best our best that's why jesus said to the rich young ruler why call me good yes only god is Is good good. only god is good so if god is the only good man on this planet you have to look at this passage through that lens and that's how jesus was mentioning this whole doctrine that he's teaching he says you you shall be forgiven if you blasphemy me but if you blasphemy the spirit it will not be give forgiven if you speak a word against the son of man it'll be forgiven but if you speak against the holy spirit it shall not be forgiven either in this age or the one to come in other words we who are in this new covenant are supposed to understand that in this age we could be producing the flesh which is the child of wrath which is the child of futility and we are not getting rewarded in this age at all because all we're manifesting is the flesh in dealing with the futility of the flesh not the excellency of the spirit but in first corinthians 3 do you remember where it talks about laying a foundation and the foundation has to be laid which is jesus christ 
and you can build on it with wood, hay, and stubble, or you can build on it with fine jewelry, silver and gold. And the works that you do will be burned up and they'll either have produced wood, hay, and stubble, which burns, or they will produce gold, which makes it through the fire. Well, when Jesus is saying, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you will not be forgiven in this age or the one to come, when it's speaking about the one to come, because we just mentioned about, age. <laughs> yeah, we just mentioned about what it's like in this age, but when the age to come where we won't be forgiven is our works will burn up. That's why in John 3, 17 and following it, it said, those who practice the truth come to the light that it may be clearly seen that what has been done through them has been done by God. That's why James chapter 2 says, speak and act as those who will be judged. The judicial system of the new covenant, those will be judged by the law of liberty. And one thing when you were just reading 1 Corinthians 3, I think it's important at the end of that, he talks about silver, gold, and costly stone and wood, hay, and stubble. But it says, even if everything that guy does is done by the flesh, or the wood, hay, and stubble, which is synonymous with the flesh or human effort, it says he himself will be saved as one escaping the flames. Right, right. And when James says, speak and act as those who will be judged by this perfect law that gives freedom, he's saying, speak in a certain way, like the apostles always did. Here's an example of Paul speaking in a certain way. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and this grace towards me was not in vain because I labored harder than all the rest, but it wasn't me laboring. It was the grace of God in me laboring. He gave the credit to the grace of God in him. Same thing Peter did. That was a did. lot of silver, gold, and costly stone in that statement. Yeah, in that statement. And no wood, right. no hay, and no stubble. Yeah, same with Peter when he uh, healed the blind man there in, in Acts chapter Three. 3 or 4. He says, we didn't do it. It was the faithfulness of Christ in us doing it. He, he said it was God glorifying his son, meaning God gave his son the power to heal this guy and be glorified in us and the credit and the glory should go to God, not us. That's why he said, don't think by our piety we got this man healed. No, it wasn't us, but it was the spirit of God in us doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. And when you take credit for what the Holy Spirit is doing in you, you are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And the judgment is, because it said it'll be judged, the judgment is the loss of reward. Because it says, and though 
and yet he will be saved in 1 Corinthians 3.15 after it says he loses all his rewards, but he will be saved. And then you know what the next verse says? Don't you know that you are the temple of God and he lives in you by his spirit? We say it's the spirit who did this through me. It's not me in my willpower. In my willpower, I was trapped doing what I don't want to do and not doing what I do want to do and doing the very evil I hate. But I prayed out to God, deliver me from that. And God delivered me and Jesus showed up in me to do for me what I can't do for myself. And I am giving Jesus the credit. But on those times you don't give Jesus the credit, then you will be judged for those words. Also, that's why it says, for by every careless word that men speak, they shall render account of it on the day of judgment. That's the day in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 16, the judgment seat of Christ where the works are burned up and judged. On that day, they will render an account of everything they said, and for by their words, they shall be justified by the words that said, no, it wasn't me doing it. It was God in me doing it. They are justified by those words. But the words that said, no, nah, I did it. He, he, it was me, my willpower. See, I tithe a lot, and I, I go to church every Sunday, and that keeps me strong. And I just don't do those things. I made up my mind not to do them. And I had to rededicate a few times, but I'm dedicated now. And I don't do those things. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because it was only the Holy Spirit in you that did those things. And if you don't give the Holy Spirit credit, you're lying against the Holy Spirit. Now, donating to Guardians of Grace podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whether by flesh or spirit. <laughs> no, we would want it done in the spirit, that's for sure. Yeah, but, don't do it in your... Yeah, we sure would love to see this ministry and I'm grow. joking, of course. But that turns, a, that turns a very scary verse, and a verse that's kind of Baffling. misused to say whatever pet doctrine you want to have on your agenda that you want to say. It's been used to that, but I've heard very few accounts of people that actually got into this novel idea of just reading the, the chapter in context and seeing what it's What talking. he is saying, right? And knowing the illustrations. I mean, when he says the good tree and the bad tree, you have to understand that he's talking about one person, two natures. One person, two natures. Flesh nature and spirit nature. I always thought, uh, how many years, Bill, did both of us think, oh, Johnny's a good guy and, and Paul's a bad guy. And we judged men according to the flesh, which is what Jesus said, don't do in, in John chapter 7. He said, make a righteous judgment. 
Judge them according to the nature that they're manifesting. That way you can always love the person who manifested the human nature and disappointed you, but hate what he did, what that human nature did. And you can try to restore your brother back to the spirit where he can be disappointing no more. Disappointing no more. In the spirit, you make people glad to be around you in the spirit. And so back to I will not forgive you in this age or the age to come. In other places, there's ages to come. Who knows? That's another podcast in itself. But in context, he's talking about Israel, this age. And we know that age did come to an end in AD 70. And now we're it's been replaced by the church age. So the same rule, I guess, for lack of a better word, would apply. But now the spirit is a lot more in abundance and a lot more people because that's what Jesus when he said, it's good that I go away, but when I when I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit back and he'll live in you and through you. And the things that the Spirit does, which when the Spirit is in abundance, when the mind of the Spirit, when the Spirit is fully engaged, the Spirit will continue to produce silver, gold, and costly stone. But when the flesh is in abundance it will produce the wood, hay, and stubble. And don't confuse the two, is what he's saying. That And if you take credit for what the Spirit just did in you, it produces wood, hay, and stubble. So give the Spirit like the credit. That, like that, you just mentioned in Peter in Acts 3, and I think Paul pretty much does the exact same thing in Acts 2. 12, I believe. Yeah, yeah. He does it so, so many times. He must do it 35 or 40 times. He always gives credit to God. Every letter that he starts off, he starts off, I thank God for your, because your faith has grown and your love for all the saints have grown. I thank God for that because he's giving credit to the Holy Spirit to make cause your faith to grow. But in Acts chapter 3 where Peter says, don't look at us, at us as if we, by our own piety, made this man restored. Yes. And then he talks about all the prophets spoke about a time called the restoration of all things. According to that, the Spirit's going to get a lot more in abundance Amen. In, in the Amen. coming Amen. days. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Coming age, yes. Come, Holy Spirit, come. But you see... To, to have a working knowledge of this new covenant where God said, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to be exemplary Christians and you won't have to teach each other to experience God from the least to the greatest. You'll all see me moving about in people 
And that's the new covenant where we're supposed to see God in people, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We see God in people and we realize when we're talking to God through somebody and that's when we fellowship. When we're not talking to God through somebody, we can run for the hills. We don't have to fellowship. But all that is predicated on understanding this new covenant that we'd be born again and that the spirit of Christ would be put in us to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And that is the new covenant that we live in. And this new covenant that we live in has a judicial system to it. And the judicial system is like Jesus said in the very last page of the book of Revelation, I am coming and bringing my rewards with me. I am coming and bringing my rewards with me. The judicial system of this covenant is that Jesus will come with his rewards. And if you give him the credit for what he has rightfully done through you, then you receive rewards. If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit and say, no, it was me who did it, then your works burn up and you don't receive a reward. That is the judicial system of the new covenant. And it's predicated on us understanding all the synonymous ways that the writers in the New Testament and the epistles, all the synonymous ways they depict the flesh or the spirit. It's over and over, the good sheep, the bad sheep, the good tree, the bad tree, the mind from, the wisdom from above and wisdom from below. It's just every kind of angle you want to hit those synonyms from, they, they come in until you get the picture of the mind of the flesh or the mind of the spirit. That's an obvious one. You get the picture that we have two natures in this new covenant, and one nature doesn't do a, a whole lot of good as much as it tried, just like it tried in the old covenant when God actually put the burden on the human nature and it failed. Well, it still fails in this new covenant, but the Spirit succeeds, and we've got to know when to give the Spirit the credit in our new covenant, because that is the essence of our new covenant, is the essence of the judicial system of our new covenant, and that's why it's so important to understand what is being said in Matthew chapter 12, because Matthew chapter 12 is telling us that you can't take credit for what the Spirit does through you. You will lose your rewards. You will be both justified and condemned by those words, which in the Old Testament, you couldn't be justified and condemned by your words. You were either justified or condemned by your words. But in the New Testament, you are justified and condemned because all the condemnation goes to the human nature 
and all the justification goes to the Spirit of God in you. It's a new covenant, a new way of life. We've got to picture this new covenant right. We've got to see the new covenant for what it is. It's a covenant based on the fact that he'll put his spirit in us and cause us to blossom. It's his spirit that does for us what we can't do for ourselves. It's his spirit that does everything, and it's his spirit that stores us up treasures in heaven, and we have to understand the judicial system of this new covenant, which is give this spirit the credit that it deserves. Don't you know that you are the temple of God and he dwells in you by his spirit? What a clue. What a clue after it just told you how to store up treasures in heaven or lose them. What a clue to put in after some works will be burned up and some works will make it through the fire. Don't you know that you are the temple of God and he lives in you by his spirit, and that spirit does for you what you can't do for yourself, which is make your spouse happy, which is make your boss and the people around you happy, your mother, your father happy. You can please people around you by the power of the spirit. And that's why we pray all day and we depend on God for everything. We depend on God to work through the people around us and cause them to bend our way the way that we need them to bend. And we pray to the Spirit to cause us to be a blessing to those people and make them want to follow us and follow our ways and do the things that we need them to do. That's all predicated on the Spirit working through other people around you and through working through you for the people around you. We are servants of God not as though we serve God tea and biscuits or something like that, but we serve, we're the servant of God to the people around us, and we serve all those people that we come into contact with every day, but we serve them through the Spirit's power and not our own human intellect, not our own human kindness, not our own human patience, those things don't measure up. They let people down. But the Spirit's patience is a different story. That's the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit's kindness, a different story. That's the fruit of the Spirit. We give the Spirit credit for bearing that fruit in our lives. That's why Jesus said, abide in me and I'll abide in you. Because apart from me, you get credit for nothing. You don't get credit for doing a single thing. The flesh counts for nothing. Zero. Zero nada. It's also, it's the mark of discernment in Hebrews 6 for solid food is for the mature who've learned to discern good for evil, flesh and spirit. Flesh and spirit. It's... It's the mark of obvious in Galatians 5, the acts of the flesh and the acts of the spirit. The acts of the flesh are obvious. It's a mark of... Say that again, Bill, that about good, discerning good from evil, because why do we need to learn to discern good from evil when we've already got 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We've got our conscience and we've got the law to tell us what good and evil is. It's because good and evil becomes defined like you just defined it. Well, it says in Hebrews, solid food is for the mature who have learned to discern good from evil. It's also in Romans 12. Galatians 5, I think, is the obvious one. Cool. So discerning Matthew 12 out of the good becomes, and there's, of course, the Lay Lee doctrine. Which is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know those those are, your are your words. words. Yeah. But your words are spirit or well, they're flesh. flesh. Your acts, your works yes. are spirit or they're flesh. Yes. Everything is either spirit or flesh. Let me read the flesh. Is it Romans 12? Which verse are you thinking about? Where it t- talks about discerning. Or Hebrews 6 is discerning. Hebrews 5, the last two verses in Hebrews 5 is about discerning good from evil. And again, let me beg the question, why would you, if good and evil meant doing good or doing evil, why would you need to discern it? Because you've already got the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You've got Satan to accuse you of good and evil. You've got your conscience to torture you with the idea of good and evil. And you've got the law to tell you about all those sins you're doing. You discern good from evil as in Paul discerned in Romans 7 when he says, I know that no good thing dwells in me meaning my human effort. That's exactly what he says. No good thing dwells on me, meaning my human effort. He says no good thing dwells in my human nature. It's not there. The wishing to do good is there, but the doing of good is not. Just read it for yourself. He's not the good tree, and he knows it. He knows the good tree is Christ in him the vine. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. We always abide in that vine. We are the branches and he bears the fruit through us. But he says, no good thing dwells in me. And we are supposed to, as Christians, learn to discern, just like my wife, which Bill was alluding to, has down to a science. She can discern whether they're my words or the words of the Spirit. And it took me a couple of years to catch on to the fact that she, when she was saying, those are just your words, she meant those are just human words, not the spirit speaking through a human. Those are not the words of God. But she can tell when the words of God are coming through me because she's learned to discern good from evil that way, as in learning to discern what Bill said. Well, let me flesh read it. from spirit. Flesh from spirit, good from evil. So I'll read this one, and you were right. It was 5, 11, 6. Yeah. yeah. So Hebrews 5, I'm going to start in 12. I should say 11 talks about, I want to talk to you guys more, but it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. Hearing, right. For verse 12, Hebrews 5, for this, by this time, You ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. 
and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And Paul said, there's nothing good in my human nature. You're discerning whether the person is manifesting his human nature or his spirit. That's what the whole new covenant is about from Matthew to the end of Revelation. It's all about the spirit and the human nature. The spirit in the human nature, it tells you how it acts. It tells you what you can expect from it. It tells you when to fellowship with it. It tells you what's going to happen at the end to the flesh and the spirit. They're going to be separated from each other. You've been circumcised with a circumcision not done by hands, but a circumcision done by Christ in the removal of the flesh Colossians 2, 11, 12, 13. It, it tells you right there that you were circumcised from this flesh. That's what happened to us at, at the end of time. That's what God mercifully did for us at the cross. And he sees us that way right now. Even though we don't. That's why it could say, put off the old man which is being corrupted. And yet it could also say in Romans 6, the old man has been crucified, past tense. The two passages in Romans 6 and Ephesians 4.22 don't jive together unless you understand that. Romans 6 is telling us an eternal point of view about the flesh, and Ephesians 4.22 is giving us a temporal view of the flesh. It's got so much to tell us, this Bible, about flesh and about spirit, and we have to get a handle on it to, to appreciate it. But when I say it is replete with examples of flesh and spirit and thoughts that are predicated on knowing the flesh and the spirit, I can't tell you what an understatement that is. Oh, my gosh replete could never measure up to just how much the Bible is saturated with thoughts about the flesh and the spirit and all the knowledge that you have to know about your flesh and your spirit to become a new covenant participant. Otherwise, you're participating in the old covenant and not even knowing it. I tell you, in the months to come, we will learn all about our flesh and our spirit and what an intricate, important part of the puzzle the two ideas are. And here's another one in Romans 12. Okay. 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove 
what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You actually prove the the way God likes to roll when you manifest the spirit and not the human nature. When by the mercies of God, he said, don't try this in your own human determination. He said, I beseech you, beseech you by the mercies of God to present yourself as a living sacrifice because only God can sacrifice the human nature and allow you to manifest the spirit. But when you are manifesting the spirit, you are proving that this is God's holy, acceptable way to roll. And that word proved there is that dokimas word, Mm -hmm. which is that Refiner's fire. That sure is. That's talked about in First Corinthians, three. The, it all relates together. And the wood, hay, and stubble doesn't go through the fire too well; it's burned up. But what does make it through the fire is the silver, gold, and costly stone. He's saying you you can make that judgment through a a maturing of the spirit in you. You'll be able to discern. You'll be able to do the 1 Corinthians 3 judgment by the Spirit in your day-to-day life. You, you can actually discern, you know what, that was, that was my selfish ambition. That was not the Spirit that, that did that. And then there's one in Galatians, is it 5, the fruit of the Spirit? Mm-hmm. And then it says the acts of the, the flesh, flesh are obvious. yes. So that was written to the Galatians because they really weren't getting it. To teach you how to discern between flesh and spirit that is warring against itself and one is going to manifest or the other. And when the spirit manifests, you produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. And when the flesh is doing it, you, you produce drunkenness, strife, fighting, arguing, debauchery, selfish ambition, ambition and those things. So you can discern whether somebody's in the flesh or in the spirit. And when you're discerning something in the spirit, you can give the spirit credit and not take credit for what the Holy Spirit is. That is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. For years, I've heard pastors go, Oh, well, the unpardonable sin. Nobody knows what that is. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, we don't know. But if you feel guilty, then you're not doing it. If, if you're conflicted about it, then you're not doing it. But we don't know what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Well, the new covenant defines what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. It's right there as obvious as the day is long. And I'm going to pray that we receive a spirit of wisdom, Lord, and revelation so that we can see your synonyms for what they are, Father God, that you show us how much of this New Testament is written about flesh and spirit, and we can take root in that, and then we can begin to see these Bible verses come alive with meaning. They actually all meaning mean something, and they blow the mind, Father, when you are furnishing that spirit of wisdom and revelation. So we ask you to anoint the podcast with that spirit, Father. And it's in your son's name. Amen. 
Amen. Love you guys. Love you. Good night, everyone. Good night.